All right, good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul here from the home office, the home home office, inside in these comfy confines. It's a little chilly out there, but it's warming up today. Today, by the way, is Tuesday, March 9th, 2021, and we continue our trek through the book of Exodus. We are right before the point where the people are going to receive the law of God via the hand of Moses from God at Mount Sinai. In fact, they're encamped around Mount Sinai. But here, it's very interesting. Moses in Exodus 18 um, stops to give us a, a lengthy account, actually, of his interaction with his, of all things, father-in-law, uh, Jethro. Not to be confused with the Beverly Hillbillies, but I digress. This is, um, I'm going to actually read all of chapter 18 because it's a narrative, it's a story, it doesn't really work to chop it up. So, so stick with me, we're going to dive into the text together and learn some things about leadership. So here we go. Exodus 18, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because of the people, come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statute of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Wherever, look for able men from all the people, 
men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure all, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. All right, so here's the scenario. Um, Moses, of course, married Zipporah, a Midianite, um, after he had fled from Egypt. And they had been married 40 years. They had two sons. But when Moses was called by God out of um, the wilderness to go and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, um, it seems that he left um, his wife and sons with um, his father-in-law, Jethro, for, for sort of safekeeping. They could be safe so that they did not have to make this trek with Moses in Egypt. But now it's some months later, and Moses is back to encampment at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they're reunited, okay? And it feels so good. So Zipporah, the sons... And here we are introduced to this person, Jethro. And it's fascinating how many times um, Jethro is referred to as the father-in-law of Moses. It, it, it's, it's almost as if um, God is wanting us to be reminded that his wisdom, God's wisdom, God's word can come from the most unlikely of sources. Um, we, we, stereoty we think stereotypically about all of the the, the naughty in-law relationships that, that characterize modern life. Well, here, um, there doesn't seem to be any of that. There's a real deference and respect uh, from Moses to his father-in-law. Moses is not threatened by his father-in-law. In fact, he honors him, and he receives um, the word and the wisdom of God from his father-in-law. Now, let's think about all the ways that Moses could have responded, right? When Jethro, because what Jethro was observing was the fact that Moses was working himself to death. Um, Moses was adjudicating each and every, no matter how big or how small, um, dispute among the people himself. He was kind of sitting in court, holding court all day, every day, judging um, and deciding, adjudicating cases of the people. And Moses, uh, I'm sorry, Jethro observed this and told Moses, Moses, this isn't going to work. This isn't right. You're going to wear yourself out. This is not going to be helpful to you or the people. And, and imagine for a moment, if you're Moses, what you might be feeling at that point, okay? Um, one, he might be feeling like, well, somebody finally recognizes what I'm doing around here. But he also could have been very threatened by his father-in-law. He could have been very... Um, defensive because after all he was Moses right he oversaw these 10 plagues he led the people out of Egypt he'd seen I mean, he'd been laboring with these stubborn-hearted people and bringing the water out of the rock and hearing the grumbling of the people and the complaining and here his 
father-in-law, Moses, okay, Jethro, is sitting there dropping knowledge on him and just sort of showed up. It's kind of like the guy who gets inserted into the basketball game and hits a jump shot and everybody celebrates what he's done when all the rest of the starting five have been laboring all game, right? So, so there's a lot of reasons that, that, that Moses could have um, resented Jethro. But one thing we want to understand here is that no matter how wisdom or God's word comes to us, even if it's from an unlikely source, even if it's from someone that maybe we aren't particularly personally enamored with, or maybe it's delivered in the wrong way or in the wrong timing, so often we can get defensive and respond in arrogance and in pride and defensiveness. Um, and, and we end up attacking the messenger or the way the message was brought versus evaluating the message itself. And here, Moses does not do this. Moses has a humble heart. Moses receives this word. And so it's just a great reminder for us that wherever it comes from, we are all responsible for responding to and assimilating the input we receive, regardless of where it comes from. Okay, that's number one. Number two, and I think this is the larger principle here, um, we are given um, the root, the foundation of um, what is going to really grow into the biblical form of government, okay? And, and by this, we mean the idea that God's people are governed both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament church, right? Not by a singular man who wields um, all the authority and the power and the decision-making, but God governs his people by a plurality of leadership, okay? You may have heard me say this before, but when men, singular men, become isolated, empowered, entitled, unaccountable, with all the authority and their decision uh, resting in them, where everybody around them is just a giant co-enabler, so to speak, men typically make catastrophic decisions that destroy their lives, their families' lives, and other people's lives. And But one of the things that God has done, okay, in his wisdom is, is laid out a model, um, a model of leadership which says that um, the authority and governing and decision-making should be in the hands of a, a plurality or a, a multiplicity of leaders. In the New Testament, we call those elders. And here we have the first installment or public installment of elders in the Old Testament. And... and this was not because it wasn't important for Moses to lead and be involved. It was that he was so important, okay, and what he did was so important that he needed to make sure that he did what only he could do, right? Um, and that whatever that those unique singular things that God had called him to, he, do, he does those. And that there's an opportunity to call other people alongside of him to be involved and to use their gifts as well. And not only does this in, you know, uh, make for a lasting, enduring ministry on Moses' part, but it also um, is good for the people, right? Because Moses is only one man. He can only touch so many lives um, singularly by himself. Um, but now leadership is multiplied when other people are brought into the leadership circle. And so 
in the New Testament, we believe that this happens um, with this group of qualified men we call elders and who all share authority, who all share decision-making. Now, it doesn't mean that there is not often a, a, a singular leader or one who is sort of the, the first among equals. Okay, that's also a biblical principle. Um, someone who is set aside by the plurality to lead the team, okay, uh, because of uh, giftedness or because of time, availability, and certainly Moses was that man. No one questioned the fact that he was leading. However, okay, he was, part of his leadership was being exercised, okay, through other men, through other people. And this is how um, two million people were cared for in the wilderness, okay, um, and not one singular person. There's so many applications like to the contemporary church. So oftentimes we find out when ministers and leaders have been burned out, when they have been overworked, when they have been enabled, when they fall into sin, when they, you know, flame out, whatever the case may be, there's typically a breakdown in this structure, okay? There's typically a breakdown in shared leadership. There's a breakdown in shared wisdom. There's a breakdown in shared authority. And so in the New Testament, we believe that um, certainly God has set aside some to be full-time vocational elders. We call them pastors here at Four Oaks. Um, but these men do not hold a unique authority. They hold the same authority as the rest of the plurality of elders, even those who don't make their living from the gospel. And this is actually a blessing to the church. It protects the church. It helps to insulate the church. It doesn't mean that these elders are flawless or don't make bad decisions or um, that, they, that there cannot be grievous error and sin among a group of elders. It just, it just lessens that chance, right? And it gives an opportunity for a leadership to be accountable to itself and to the people and to be self-correcting, okay? And so one of the things, um, you know, just on a personal, practical level, we can take from this is certainly pray for, pray for your church leaders, okay? But also look for those opportunities, okay, to diversify and empower leadership in your own life, okay? Are there things that you do that you feel like only I can do these things when in reality other people could do them? God is wanting to use their gifts as well. This is, could be in the home or the workplace or in ministry. Um, what are ways that we can continually be reaching out to people to draw them in so that they can utilize their gifts in the body of Christ? And so we don't want to ever make ministry or leadership about us or about a singular person. We want to make it about honoring God. And this leadership structure um, not only served Moses and the people of Israel through its history, but has served the church up into the present time. And we want to learn and grow in it. Okay, so that's our uh, devotional for this morning. Finally, at long last, tomorrow morning, uh, same time, same station, Exodus 19, Israel uh, approaches Mount Sinai uh, to meet with God. Um, and it's quite the spectacle. So I can't wait. Let's pray. Lord, we want to not see ourselves as indispensable and as the savior and as the one who can fix all problems. Lord, we, we want to humble ourselves like Moses and acknowledge we can't do it. 
Lord, only, only you can do it. And one of the ways you've designed it to be done is for us to have a shared leadership together. So Lord, um, give us grace, humility, wisdom to know how to recognize that in our own lives and to run after it. And Lord, we thank you for the time you've given us today. We commit it to you in your name. Amen. See you tomorrow, everybody.